Welcome to Beyond the Paradigm. Over the last two episodes, I've been examining various UFO sightings from the UK and the USA. And I have mentioned alien abduction in relation to this UFO phenomena. This was all done in light of recent revelations made by David Grush, the ex-United States Air Force Intelligence Officer, who had made the claim that the US had intact and partially intact craft of non-human origin. Josh Hawley, an influential Republican politician who sits on several major committees in the US Senate, said that he's been briefed with information that seemingly confirms what Grush has said. Grush, the Air Force veteran, also said that the dictator Benito Mussolini's government in Italy came into contact with spacecraft from another world, adding that the Vatican and the Five Eyes spying program helped the United States in procuring it. Senator Josh Hawley has said that Grush's claims aren't as far-fetched as others might think. Grush has also said and I quote, I don't want to necessarily donate origin. I don't think we have all the data to say, oh, they're coming from a certain location. Grush added, we know there are extra dimensions due to the high energy particle collisions, etc. And there's a theoretical framework to explain that. He goes on to say, it could be that this is not necessarily extraterrestrial and actually it's coming from a higher dimensional physical space that might be co-located right here. Now, in terms of the abduction phenomena, there are four explanations posited as to what causes this phenomena. Firstly, it is simply ascribed to aliens from other planets who have visited Earth on multiple occasions. Secondly, it has been ascribed to demons. These encounters are not with physical aliens, but with evil spirits or demons. Thirdly, it has also been explained as being an episode of sleep paralysis. Now, this is something that I have experienced myself. I wasn't taken on board an alien spacecraft. There was simply a black mist that hovered over me. And fourthly, it's been put down to government mind control and disassociation. But what is actually going on? Do extraterrestrials actually exist? Is it even possible for a physical spacecraft to travel through space from another galaxy to come to our galaxy and our Earth? To travel from the Andromeda galaxy, which is the closest large spiral galaxy to ours, it will take 2.5 million years to reach us if they travelled at the speed of light. Now in this episode, 
I'm going to bring this series to a conclusion by examining whether it is possible for a physical alien pilot to travel through space in a physical spacecraft from another galaxy to visit us here on Earth. I want also to look at the organisations involved in the cover-up of this phenomena and finally I want to expose what these beings actually are and what this phenomena actually is. There are many believers in the world regarding the UFO phenomena who really believe that these are physical beings from another planet flying physical craft through space. No matter what evidence you present that contradicts their belief, they will simply ignore it and continue to believe. In fact, there is a belief due to the vacuum created by the abandonment of the Christian faith that ancient aliens created us. The notion that life somehow originated on another planet and then came to Earth via outer space holds wistful obsession for many evolutionists. And this is because they have been unable to explain the origin of life on Earth. Even the simplest living cell is now known to be unimaginably complex. As life has been found deeper and deeper in the fossil record, and so in older and older strata, according to evolutionary dogma, many are now saying that there has not been enough time for life to have evolved on Earth. Thus, an older planet is needed. Of course, postulating that life began on another planet does not solve the evolutionist problem of just how non-living chemicals could have turned into a living cell. It merely transfers the problem to another place. Now, is it actually possible for physical aliens to travel through space at the speed of light, or does this violate the laws of physics and is there any other reasons why this may not be able to happen? Films involving intelligent life on other planets have been some of the best box office smashes. Avatar, Star Wars, Star Trek, Independence Day to name some. All these are cultural icons. But intelligent life on other planets is contradicted by the Holy Scriptures and presupposes chemical evolution that life evolved from non-living chemicals. And as will be shown, there are huge scientific problems for the idea of interstellar space travel, as well as including a lack of energy. Distances between stars are literally astronomical. The closest star system to ours is Alpha Centauri, which is 4.37 light years away. It takes 4.3 years to get there, travelling at the speed of light. One light year is just under 10 trillion 
kilometres, which is approximately 6 trillion miles. Furthermore, Einstein's theory of special relativity teaches us that any mass increases as it approaches the speed of light, thus requiring even more energy to accelerate it. Special relativity is an explanation of how speed affects mass, time and space. The theory includes a way for the speed of light to define the relationship between energy and matter. Small amounts of mass can be interchangeable with enormous amounts of energy, as defined by the classic equation E equals mc squared. But the problems for hypothetical aliens start well before this becomes an issue. Now, imagine an alien spacecraft with a mass of only 10 tonnes, or 10,000 kilograms, which is approximately 22,000 pounds. The Apollo lunar module, which could only take two men, was about 15 tonnes. Then, how much energy would it need to take to accelerate to 100,000 kilometres a second, or a third the speed of light? Now, I looked at an equation online, which was quite difficult to explain, but it gave the answer that it would need 50 exajoules. This is equal to the entire world's consumption of energy for over one month. So what possible source of energy could provide this amount of energy? Antimatter is the only real possibility. Since it can annihilate ordinary matter with complete conversion to energy. According to Einstein's famous formula, E equals mc squared, if perfect annihilation would be achieved, which is considered to be unlikely, 500 kilograms each of antimatter and matter would produce 1,000 kilograms, which with the equation used would equal 90 exajoules. So this would look like enough but not so fast because about the same amount of energy would be needed to slow down the alien craft when it reaches earth and already they are running out of fuel and this is just a small craft powering the massive spaceships of the movies for many fast intricate maneuvers you see, it's not called science fiction for nothing. This energy shortage is not the only thing for aliens to worry about. They need also to avoid tiny sand grains and even flecks of paint. Even our own spacecraft are damaged severely by impacts of only about 10 kilometres a second, which is 22,000 miles per hour. These hypothetical alien ships 
are traveling 10,000 times faster. So the impact energy would be 1 million times more. Even a snowflake colliding at such a speed has almost as much kinetic energy as 4 tons of TNT, which must be released somewhere in the craft or else it would shoot through everything in its path. A one kilogram body colliding and releasing all its energy would be like a one megaton hydrogen bomb exploding. A swarm of even small meteorites or asteroids would be catastrophic. Thus, the huge amounts of energy must be expended on some sort of deflector to prevent such impacts. No amount of advanced technology could actually defy or turn off the laws of physics that govern our universe. This would be necessary even to travel close to the speed of light, let alone faster. These are insurmountable problems. Then you've got another problem, which is commonly called G-forces. Now actually the term G-force is misleading because it refers to acceleration due to gravity. Under Newton's second law, F equals MA or force equals mass times acceleration. And it is used because the weight force is proportional to mass. While acceleration is inversely proportional, so the acceleration of all objects due to gravity is equal. High G-forces are a big problem for astronauts, fighter pilots and racing car drivers. How damaging they are depends on the duration and the direction. Short duration is obviously better. Now, several Indy car racing drivers have withstood impacts in excess of 100 Gs without serious injuries. But the high G-forces were just for a fraction of a second. Even much lower G-forces sustained for even one minute could be fatal. Direction also matters. The most damaging are downwards when the blood rushes into the brain and eyes where two to three G's is the actual limit. The least is forwards or eyeballs in as in speeding up in a car or an astronaut lying on his back as the rocket shoots upwards. When decelerating this g-force is experienced in a backward facing seat which is why they are more protective in crashes. Ordinary people can withstand about 17 G's for a few minutes without losing consciousness or suffering long-term damage. In general, horizontal G-forces or perpendicular to the spine are the least dangerous. Enormous G-forces would be generated if travelling at the speed of light which would have to be sustained for longer than a few seconds. To reach the Andromeda galaxy, like I've previously said, at light speed, it will take 2.5 million years. 
not only would massive g-forces be generated by accelerating but the craft would also have to slow down and stop not only would ultra fast spaceships have problems with g-forces while speeding up and slowing down they would also have problems with changing direction here the acceleration is at an angle to the direction of the motion while undertaking this research i read an article that gave a formula regarding this and an allowable g-force and in this formula the allowable g-force was 25 g's this is the measure of acceleration an acceleration at this force up to the speed of light a spacecraft would need a minimum turning radius of 25 billion miles or 40 billion kilometers so this means that a super fast manned spacecraft would be unable to avoid obstacles with sharper turns than this radius by comparison a spacecraft trying to turn as sharply as the earth's orbit would be subject its passengers to about 6,800 g's as the earth orbits at 67,000 miles an hour and that's nowhere near the speed of light now these are some of the reasons why many scientists believe it's impossible for physical aliens to travel through space in a physical spacecraft no amount of advanced technology could actually defy or turn off the laws of physics that govern our universe and this would be necessary even to travel at a reasonable fraction of the speed of light let alone faster now despite lip service to the problems in series like star trek such as inertial dampers these remain firmly as science fiction the problem in basic physics are insurmountable It is a fact that governments have secret research and development programs. In terms of national security, it is obvious that each nation will inevitably be secretive in case their research or other development projects fall into the wrong hands, such as another enemy state. Area 51 is a secretive military base at which it seems obvious that secret research and development is taking place. Indeed, according to Bob Lazar, reverse engineering of alien craft takes place there. Interestingly, I was listening to a podcast um, just last week, and one of their guests on the show told a story about his dad, who was an ex-logistics officer in the US military. And he said that his dad told him that he'd helped set up Area 51.
His dad actually referred to it as Dreamland. Apparently that's what they used to call it in, in the military. Now, this man's dad was called in to speak to his superior officer. And he was asked how you would go about ordering certain items and that they needed to be sort of kept quiet and untraceable via any paperwork. So this man, who was the logistics officer, he explained how you would go about doing the paperwork in order to cover up what was actually being ordered. A while later, uh, the same week, he was called in again to speak to this superior officer again, and then he was actually asked to do what he said regarding the ordering of these items and then obviously covering it up and everything. He then went on to describe how he used to order items and then lorries would take the items out into the desert where for example say there were two lorries went out, the lorry drivers would get there and there would be two cars, empty cars with keys waiting. The drivers of the lorries would then leave their lorries out in the middle of the desert with keys and then they'd take the cars and then just drive back to their bases where they'd come from. So even the setting up of Area 51 was secretive and it was only on a need-to-know basis. Now with regards to having a need-to-know it is vital to understand that not every officer no matter how high up in the military will be deemed to have a need to know on certain research programs. Not all intelligence officers will be read into a particular program. In fact, not even the President of the United States knows fully what is going on. Now, Bob Lazar claimed to have been reverse engineering non-human craft. But Bob Lazar would have only had knowledge of the particular area in which he worked in. It's been described as like a sort of pyramid that each program or part of the program was like a pyramid and there was people obviously at the top who knew more but you would only know people in your pyramid not from the other parts of the program so they might have only been developing one particular aspect of this vehicle. So Bob Lazar may have actually genuinely believed he was working on reverse engineering alien craft but like I said he didn't have full knowledge of the entire program and he did work at Area 51 did Bob Lazar and he was actually a private contractor and many private contractors are still used on these secret um, programs and obviously one of the reasons for this is money but not only this private companies are not covered by the Freedom of Information Act so they don't have to share any information. Now Jenny Zeidman who once worked on Project Blue Book was told to her utter shock that she didn't work for the United States Air Force but she was actually working as part of this project for a private company called Battelle. Now, Battelle is a private metallurgical company and they do global research and, and it's a development organisation committed to science and technology. Now, there is some evidence that indicates that parts of the craft 
recovered from the Roswell crash site, were sent to Battelle for analysis and reverse engineering. The Department of Defence has made a statement after the claims made by David Grush and they said to date the Old Domain Anomaly Resolution Office has not discovered any verifiable information to substantiate claims that any programmes regarding the possession or reverse engineering of any extraterrestrial materials have existed in the past or exist currently. The AARO is committed to following the data and its investigation where it leads. That's a quote directly from them. Now, they might not have discovered any evidence because the rabbit hole is much deeper than they even know. If, as evidence suggests, that private companies have these non-human craft or parts of craft, then it wouldn't be a stretch to think that US government officials could be kept in the dark over these reverse engineering programs. We also have to take into account considering the deep state. Now, what is the deep state? The deep state is a type of governance made up of potentially secret and unauthorised networks of power operating independently of states' political leadership in a pursuit of their own agenda and their own goals. It could also be called a shadow government. And as the real power brokers remain in the shadows and the visible government are simply puppets doing the bidding of the shadow government. Now, I've also heard whilst doing my research that the security at Area 51 is mainly private contractors and not US military. Now, it's common for governments to contract out to private companies. Indeed, an example of this in the UK, um, some of the prisons are contracted out, they're privatised, some of them are run like by companies such as Sodexo and G4S. And contractors work in many areas of, say, the NHS, for example, and other government buildings. So it's not uncommon for private companies to work on government contracts. However, large sums of money will be involved in the contracts and that, that involve the secret research and development. So we need to note that. Secret research and development programmes are actually called black projects. Now, a black project is a highly classified top secret military or defence project that is not publicly acknowledged by the government, military personnel or any contractors. There's actual examples of the United States military undertaking black projects in the development of military aircraft, such as the Lockheed F-117 Nighthawk stealth attack aircraft, the Northrop Grumman B-2 Spirit Stealth Bomber, both of which were highly classified and publicly denied until they were ready to be announced to the public. Another example of a black project is the Lockheed SR-71 Blackbird, a long-range high-altitude Mach 3 Plus strategic reconnaissance aircraft developed and manufactured by the American Aerospace Company 
Lockheed Corporation and the SR-71 has several nicknames including the Blackbird as it's commonly known. The SR-71 was developed as a black project from Lockheed and during the 19s uh, uh, from Lockheed Skunk, what's called Skunk Works Division. In relation to to the leap in technology from the Second World War until the initial flight of the Blackbird, it was a vast leap in technology. Did this have something to do with technology recovered from Roswell being reverse engineered, or had there been some kind of exchange between US government officials and a highly advanced race? I want to conclude this series on UFOs and aliens. As I've looked into this phenomenon over the last few weeks, it is clear that something major is going on. However, I do not believe that physical aliens are coming from other planets. The reason I don't believe this is because no amount of advanced technology can overcome the known laws of physics. Furthermore, I don't believe the universe is millions of years old. I'm a New Earth creationist and hold to the biblical account of creation. That all said, it is clear that even though there have been many sightings that have been nothing more than planes, helicopters, weather balloons or drones, there have also been some genuine, unexplained sightings. Not only this, there have been people who have experienced the alien abduction phenomena. And not all of these people have been attention seekers. I recently heard on another podcast a claim made by a former FBI special agent that has 25 years experience. And he has said that UFOs are real, but they're not physical, and that UAPs are actually physical and that they're part of a PSYOP. A UAP was described as an advanced craft that has been developed on a black project but has yet to be acknowledged by the US government or any private contractors. The term UAPs is being used in order to make the unexplained phenomena, what has been normally termed UFOs, more palatable to the public. It's all part of the slowly, slowly approach to the full disclosure. UAP technology has gained uh, as part of an exchange between the deep state and extraterrestrial beings. What I mean by extraterrestrial beings is not from Earth, but that doesn't mean I mean from other planets. I will go on to define what I mean by extraterrestrial in a little while. The deep state, which is obviously human beings, need to keep ETs or UFOs under wraps in order to control the population of the world. In their eyes, if the truth gets out, then there would be no need for them. However, 
these deep state officials are deceived. And when the time's right, they'll be cast aside. Now, to muddy the waters even further, it has been claimed that UFOs or UAPs are in fact USOs, unidentified submersible objects. And it's been claimed that these USOs have been seen plunging into the water at high speeds and travelling at immense speeds through water and have been picked up on multiple times on various submarines' radars. So some people are postulating that these USOs are actually coming from the core of the Earth. Now, having looked at various sources of evidence, including scientific data, it seems reasonable to conclude that UFOs are not travelling from other planets. However, there are too many sightings to simply discount it as just being people's imagination. There is a world that is older than ours which could give the answer as to what UFOs are and why people are seeing them. UFOs are interdimensional, they're not coming from another planet, but from a different dimension. And this is why they can appear and disappear. Now one further point to note is that Satan and the fallen angels, they can manipulate matter. They can't create ex nihilo as God can. And by that I mean that God created out of nothing. It can create the matter needed from nothing. It doesn't need pre-existent material. However, Satan, fallen angels, they can't do that. They have to manipulate matter. UFOs are real, but they are linked to dark forces that manipulate matter. Now, what do I mean by a different dimension? Well, I'm going to explain, and I'm going to explain by reading a book that I've got. And the book's called Alien Intrusion. And I'm actually just going to read the part on interdimensional creator. And it, it, it explains quite well, actually, um, interdimensional beings. It uses God as an example. But I will, I will read now from it. So, in trying to understand God, who is outside of our time and space, but can interact with them, let us try to imagine a land of two dimensions called Flatland. And on, on the page here, there are three rectangles. Uh, and figure one shows the rectangle. And each corner is labelled A, B, C and D. And within the rectangle, there are circles and they have triangles in. So that's just to give you an image of what I'm actually looking at now on the page as I'm reading. Now this land of flatland, it has length and breadth but no height. And it is inhabited by intelligent beings which are shown in the rectangle as the triangles which are inside the circles. Now these beings are also two-dimensional. One day the Flatlanders awoke to discover that someone unknown 
had drawn a line across their land which effectively divided their country in two. So in the rectangle it shows a diagonal line drawn across the middle and each end has been labelled E and then the other end F. Because they lack the dimension of height, no one could jump over or go under the line. So it became an event horizon for them because their existence would be limited by the line or boundary. They would be unable to communicate with beings on the other side. The next day, a footprint a bit appeared in the area now labelled ABFE. Spontaneously and without cause, as far as the flatlanders were concerned. Then the shape disappeared. So the next time it appeared, the flatlanders drew a circle around it to secure it. Because they were two-dimensional beings, they created an event horizon around the footprint, thinking that nothing could get in or out. However, when they removed the circle, the footprint had disappeared. The flatlanders had a threefold situation to deal with. Number one, the shape seemed to appear and disappear without cause. Number two, the shape was not limited to or impeded by an event horizon. Number three, the same event horizon completely blocked the flatlanders. The solution to their problem was provided by a character called Dr. Zweisteinus. He explained to the Flatlanders that they were limited in their understanding due to their materialistic experience of two dimensions in which they existed. He went on to explain to them that Flatland was not the only reality and there were other truths. A third dimension besides the two that they know of. This third dimension was called depth or height. The three-dimensional beings that made the foot shape could enter and exit the two-dimensional prison or event horizon at will and without even being observed by the flatlanders. This is because it was not limited to the same barriers as the two-dimensional flatlanders. Two dimensions cannot accommodate anything possessing three dimensions. When God created, he had the ability and power to pass information for the creation of the universe across the event horizon that separates space, time from eternity. Similarly, the resurrected Christ could appear to his disciples in the locked room and then disappear again. He is capable of crossing the event horizon that prevents us from performing the same action. This concept has vast implications for our study into the UFO phenomenon, as we have correctly identified these beings as creations of God existing in another, another dimension, but occasionally entering into ours. One should be careful, though, about extending the concept of extra dimensions too far. Some use this flatland idea to invoke as many as 10, 11, or 12 dimensions in such hypotheses as string theories and somehow this confirms the Bible. There is no biblical 
and very tenuous scientific support for these concepts. So that's the explanation given in this book regarding dimensions and I hope that's explained it further and it's explained it definitely better than I can. So these UFOs, they could be coming in and out of our world through portals. And I don't know if any of you have watched the TV show, His Dark Materials. There's a character in there by the name of Will Perry. And he carries a knife with him and it's called the Subtle Knife. And he's referred to as the Knife Bearer. And he can cut open portals in, in, in the world he's in. And he can go through the opening and he steps into another world or part of his own world, another part of the, his own world. It's like, for example, the wardrobe in Narnia, that's, that's like a portal. Now, these UFOs are extra dimensional. They can come in and out through portals that possibly they've created or they've existed for centuries. Now, this UFO phenomena, they're occultic extra dimension it's an extra dimensional phenomena and it's linked to the occult many ufo sightings can be easily dismissed as mistakenly identified planets rock launchings weather balloons and various atmospheric phenomena sometimes however sightings cannot be easily explained indeed the air force's project blue book that's the from the united states could not provide a rationale for 700 out of the 12,600 cases of sightings between 1947 and 1969 when the project was abandoned. Somewhere between 5 and 10% of all UFO sightings remain truly unidentified. But let's look at the UFOs and the occult connection. Those who have thoroughly investigated the topic are aware of the strong connection between the UFO phenomena and occultism. A Christian researcher by the name of Brooks Alexander of the Spiritual Counterfeits Project notes that many of the reported cases of UFO contact show some kind of occult involvement prior to initial UFO contact. Christian researcher John Weldon likewise notes that UFO contactees often have a history of psychic abilities or an interest in the occult. In many documented cases, those who successfully make contact with the quote aliens are those typically involved in one or more of the following trance states, seances, clairvoyance, spiritism, automatic handwriting, peering into crystals, levitation and out-of-body experiences. Christian UFO investigator David Wimbish, who has engaged in significant research into the UFO phenomenon, has suggested that not, not only can the occult lead one to have a UFO encounter, but interest in UFOs can also draw one into the occult. He said that many UFO investigators have followed a path that has taken them directly into the world of the occult. They believe they are rediscovering ancient spiritual truths and uncovering new realities about the universe. It's more likely that they're getting involved with some ancient deceptions. Indeed, the UFO phenomenon 
has led many to experiment with astral projection, to believe in reincarnation, to get involved in other practices directly opposed to the historical teachings of the Christian church. The occult connection to the UFO phenomena is verified by UFO reports that have come out of the former Soviet Union. In fact, because of all the UFO stories coming from that part of the world, Valet decided to pay a visit and ended up writing a book entitled UFO Chronicles of the Soviet Union. Valet, the author, discovered that cosmonauts, some of whom reported UFO phenomena, are typically trained in parapsy uh, are typically trained by parapsychologists and trained in Eastern meditation. Now, a parapsychologist is a person concerned with investigating the evidence of paranormal phenomena such as telepathy, clairvoyance, psychokinesis, which are standard forms of occultism. Eric von Daniken has written vol voluminously on alleged UFOs in the Bible. He claimed, for example, that the Ark of the Covenant was a radio transmitter used by Moses to communicate with aliens and that the flying saucer guided the Israelites in the wilderness as a pillar of fire. Now, Von Donneken got his ideas from the occult in the same way other UFO advocates say they have received messages from our alleged space brothers. That is, he received a paranormal information through telepathy from an unknown source as well as out-of-body experiences. Von Daniken himself remarked, I know that astronauts visited the Earth in ancient times. I was there when the astronauts arrived. Why, sh why should anybody believe I am able to leave my body whenever I desire and observe the past, present or future at the same time? Nonetheless, it is true. It has been true for many years. This admission by von Daniken is significant. There is certainly no one more motivated than Satan and his demons to discredit Christianity by interjecting UFO theology into the Bible. I believe von Daniken's occultic background made him easy prey to being manipulated by demonic spirits in promoting such theories. Satan is the real mastermind and inspiration behind the UFOs in the Bible theory. And because of von Daniken's vast literary, uh, literary success, no doubt it's also inspired by the powers of darkness, many people have ended up believing, not in the miraculous God of the Bible, but in aliens with incredible capabilities. To sum all this up, I would say it's a massive satanic deception. Satan and all the fallen host are setting up the last and great final deception. Well, what better way to unite humanity than with a common threat from another world? What else is going to bring, for example, Muslims and Jews together, or Sunni Muslims and Shia Muslims, or the Russians and the Ukrainians? In fact, all of humanity. I don't think Project Bluebeam was too far away from what will happen. 
And Project Blue Beam is a conspiracy theory which claims that NASA is attempting to implement a new age religion with the Antichrist at its head and start a new world order via a technological simulated second coming. Now, John, in his apocalyptic vision in the book of Revelation, the Apostle John, sees the beast who we identify as the Antichrist. And he sees him rising out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. The sea can be symbolic of troubles. And it's compared to the vision in which Daniel has in the book of Daniel. We can conclude that some sort of world government system will be inaugurated by the beast, the most powerful horn, who will wage war against God's holy people and conquer them, but only temporarily, note that. The Ten Nation Confederacy is also seen in the statue which is depicted in Daniel, where the final world government consists of ten entities represented by uh, the statue's tolls. Whoever the ten nations are and however they come to unite, scripture is clear that the beast will subdue three of them and the rest will do his bidding. John describes the ruler of this vast empire as having power and great authority given to him by Satan himself. This ruler receives worship from all over the world. He will have authority over every tribe, people, language and nation. This person will be truly recognised as the leader of a one world government and he will be recognised as sovereign over all other government. We see nations today willing to give up some of their sovereignty, for example, to combat climate change. And it's easy to imagine that disasters and plagues described in Revelation uh, chapter 6 to 11 they would create such a monumental crisis that nations of the world will embrace anything and anyone who promises a solution. What greater crisis than an alien invasion? Possibly. Once entrenched in power, the beast or the Antichrist and the power behind him, Satan, will move to establish absolute control in demanding worship. Satan edges towards his goal of being like God to truly control people. Commerce must be controlled. Revelation chapter 13 describes how this will happen. Everyone, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, will be forced to receive some type of mark on the right hands or in the foreheads in order to buy and sell. So Revelation chapter 13 verse 16 no doubt the majority of people in the world will receive the mark simply to survive. This new system of commerce will be universal, it will be compulsory and it will be associated with worship of the beast. There is a great deal of speculation as to what form this mark will take and how it will be fixed but the technologies available right now could accomplish it easily. Will you be deceived? Well, the Bible says that all those that are not true believers in Jesus Christ will be deceived. Revelation 
chapter 12 and verse 9 says this, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now, his end is sealed at the second coming of Jesus Christ on judgment day. Revelation chapter 20 verse 10. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever.